just for review, why are we doing this series called Our Tribe? What's the purpose behind all of this? You know, we're, we're looking at 2021 right now, but in 2020, God has tremendously grown our church. And we at leadership feels like this is a great time for us to remind each other, okay, uh, who we really are. Living stones, who are we? Where we are going and how we're going to get there. Pretty straightforward, right? We want to be clear about who we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. We know that as we continue in this journey with the Lord, as we partner with Him, there is going to be opposition, there's going to be speed bumps and adversity, okay? It's just going to come. That's part of the journey. But in this journey, when we have clear expectations, when we know uh, who we are, we can have unity. So if we have unity in the midst of opposition, we can stand strong, we're partnering with God, we will be unstoppable. And so we're very purposeful, very strategic about going through this series. So what are we about? At Living Stone here, our vision statement is that we're about growing people, multiplying leaders, okay? That means we focus on individuals. We focus on people and not programs. That means our strategy is to invest in you as an individual, to help you be healed, be trained, be equipped. We don't want anyone to stay on the bench. We want everyone to get in the game at the right time when you're equipped to get into the game. We want uh, you to be loved, encouraged, so you can go and love and encourage other people. That is our strategy. Now, we've been going through and talking about our values. Now, why is our values so important? Okay? The way I like to think about it is this. If our vision, okay, grown people, multiplying leader, is our public statement, okay? It's our public statement to the world. That's who we are. Our values is the tone to which we make the statement. Does that make sense? Now, we, I hope you understand how you say something is just as important as what you say, okay? So our tone as we communicate um, growing people, multiplying leader, is through our values. So Pastor Ron has done such a wonderful job talking about our first three values, right? Bold faith, right? Pregnant hope, daring love. Now, those aren't just cool things we share on the internet or put on our walls. We actually make our decisions based on those values. In other words, we, we, we might be going through a difficult decision or a controversial decision. We're thinking, okay, in this case, what does bold faith mean? How do we practice daring love in this situation? Okay, so these are practical things that we do. Today, I'm going to talk about our fourth value. Um, our fourth value is this, is that we value the growth mindset. Now, there's so much we can talk about. When I was preparing the sermon, I'm like, where do we even go with the growth mindset? There's so much we can say. But I want to condense it by answering four questions, okay? So I'm giving you the outline. I'm an educator by nature. I'm going to give you the outline to what I'm going to talk about today. So the four questions I'm going to answer is this. What does it mean to have the growth mindset? I'm going to clarify the definition of the growth mindset. Then I'm going to answer why is it important? Why is this even important to us? Why should this be important to you? Why is it important to have the growth mindset? The third question I'm going to answer is, how do we actually grow? I want to break down growing. What does it actually mean to grow? The fundamentals of actually growing. And finally, I want to talk about how does, what does the growth mindset look like on a day-to-day basis? Let's make it really practical. What does that look like? Now, before we start, I just want to clarify um, Dr. Carol Dweck, she wrote a book called Mindset, in which she kind of introduced the term growth mindset. It's really a pretty good book. It's not like Christian nature. It's got a lot of principles in it. Pastor Ron and I actually discussed this book in, um, in our Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast in episode 910. If you're interested in learning more, check it out on YouTube or just even read the book. But I want to be clear. Our prime motivation okay, for the growth mindset doesn't come from the book. There's some good stuff in it. 
our prime motivation for the growth mindset comes from the scriptures, okay? And God's word is where we find our passion to become more like Jesus, okay? So I want to start. I want to define what does it mean to have the growth mindset, okay? To me, to us at Livingstone, the growth mindset means this. It means we are viewing life through the perspective, through the lens, okay, that it's really important for us to keep growing, okay, that we don't get stagnant, that when we wake up in the morning, we're thinking, how can I become more like Jesus today, okay? That's a pervading value, pervading call, pursuit that we have. Now, just like what Pastor Ron says, because our pursuit of Jesus will never be complete, Jesus is infinite, and we are, we are limited, because the pursuit of Jesus will never be complete, our journey, our mindset is never to arrive, but always be on a journey. We are always in process. Does that make sense? Our life is a never-ending pursuit to become more like Jesus. So to have the growth mindset means that we become God chasers. We become about the journey. We don't let our past successes make us stagnant. We also are not held hostage by our past failures. We are always looking to grow day after day after day after day. You know, the best example I can think of the growth mindset is one day Pastor Carol came up to me. She said, after listening to one of your podcasts with, my, with her son, with Pastor Ron, she said about new habits, talking about new habits. She says, I'm going to develop a new habit before I go to bed every night. I'm going to stretch. And I love it. doesn't matter how much she has accomplished, how much she has done. She is still looking to grow. She's still looking to become like Jesus more every day. That's what the growth mindset means. Now, the problem we have with the growth mindset is we are all very invested in growing and maturing. But in general, we're invested in maturation and growth for everyone else. I can't wait till my son grows up so he can drive and do this. I can't wait till my son gets potty trained so I don't have to wipe his butt anymore. I can't wait till my coworker mature. I can't wait till my wife uh, becomes more mature. My husband becomes the spiritual lead. Supposed to be. We're so invested in everyone else's maturation process. Rarely do we look inside and say, hey, in what ways do Christ want me to become more like him? What are the sore spots in my life that the Holy Spirit is always kind of probing, always kind of touching? Hey, Son, become more like me. Having the growth mindset means you don't look at necessarily everyone else's flaws, everyone else's immaturity. You look at your own first. How can I grow to become more like Jesus? Second question, why is having the growth mindset so important? Now, to articulate this point, you need to understand this very profound truth. Now, if there's one takeaway from today, if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, if there's one takeaway from today is this. Here's the truth, Okay. God cares more that we become like his son. He cares so much more than he cares about our comfort, our convenience, our stability, and our reputation. I'll make that statement one more time. God cares so much more that we become more like Jesus than our comfort, convenience, stability, and reputation. Now, that truth is taking me decades and decades to learn. I'm still learning. But if you really get a revelation of this truth and really let it capture your heart, it will change you. It will change how you pray. Instead of praying for comforts for your way, you pray that God will change your heart and make you more like Jesus. That's a dangerous prayer because you're just aligning yourself with the will of God and God will move. It will change how you view God. It will change how you view your past. It will change how you view all the challenges and adversities you face in life. And check this out. It might change why you thought God let you down. 
Maybe God never lets you down. Maybe he just has a different agenda than you. See, I'm still learning that God's committed not to make us happy. He is committed to make us holy through the Holy Spirit. And you know what? When you become holy, that's when you start cultivating deep sense of joy and peace. And that's God's goal. But you don't get there through the world's way. You get there through being cultivated and being trained and growing to become more like Jesus. You have to be processed. The reason why we are emphasizing the growth mindset, why the growth mindset is so important, should be important to all of us, is because we are simply aligning our priorities with the priorities of God. We are saying whatever is important to God is important to us. That's why having the growth mindset is so important. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, so Christ gave himself apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, basically, the reason for ministry is this. The reason we have church, the reason we have life group, the reason we do Bible study is this. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. Now, this verse I've known all my life, but this context puts everything together. He says, and we know God calls us everything, everything, good and bad, people who love us and people who hate us, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. But then what is that good? You know, the whole life I thought good means things that makes me happy. But he's about to define good for us. He said, for God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what is that good? He defines that good as for us to become more like Jesus. So in other words, my paraphrase, God uses all kind of junks in your life for your good so that you can become more like his son. That is God's vision statement. That's God's purpose. So this is why we need to have a growth mindset. So we are aligning ourselves with the agenda of God, with the purpose of God, so we can become more like Jesus day after day after day. That is why the growth mindset is so important. Make sense so far? Okay. Now I want to get to real practical things. How do we actually grow? What does growing look like? Okay. Now, I want to make a quick plug for Common Grounds, our young adults ministry. Our next meeting is January 10th, this next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. in the foyer. Uh, if you're in the young adult season of life, we want to welcome you to come out. We have some great fun, great fellowship. Uh, we have some good teaching. Um, but a couple months ago, I preached at Common Ground. I talked about the fundamentals of growing, okay? And basically, my thesis statement, my, my, the presentation, the argument I'm making is that uh, growing uh, is, is, is not automatic. It has to be intentional, okay? So the problem is we often confuse growing old with growing more mature. Does that make sense? Just because you're growing, more old, growing older does not necessarily mean you become more mature. We know many people, you guys all know people who look like they are mature in the physical body, but in their heart, in their mind, their spirit, in their emotions, they haven't aged a day since they were a three-year-old. We all know that. That's because growing is not automatic, it's not haphazard, it doesn't happen by accident. It has to be intentional. It takes a lot of work, especially growing towards Jesus. Okay, just look at these crazy good athletes or Hollywood stars or starlets or musical giants and talents. They may have 
great ability at growing their skills, their ability, their hand-eye coordination, their strength, their regiment. But then in their personal life, they have terrible time making commitments, emotionally, they're they're immature. How is that the case? Where's the disconnect? How can you be so mature and develop in one area and so immature in other areas? That's because they put all the energy and focus in growing one specific area. The other parts don't just naturally match up. They're neglected and they become undeveloped. How about some people in the church? You got leaders in the church who are so great at growing their organization. They're great at growing their communication skills, their social media presence. But then later you found out that they are terrible at growing their intimate relationship with their spouses, with their kids, and with their heavenly father. That's because, again, growing is not necessarily automatic. You have to be intentional about it. We need to take ownership of our own growing process, and the church is here to help you. One of our main functions is to help you grow and become mature. But before that, I want to ask you that you need to ask yourself two questions to help you develop the growth mindset. The first question is this. In what area do I really need to grow in? In other words, in what, where is my greatest weakness? What are the things that the Holy Spirit keeps? prodding me and probing me, getting me to become more like Jesus. Now, if you have no idea, okay, I encourage you to go find two or three people who are closest to you, probably your spouse, your parents, your life group leader, your best friend, and tell them, hey, I promise whatever you say, I will not be upset. Tell me my greatest weaknesses. Now, we actually practiced that in our discipleship group, and it was an interesting experience. It was a good experience. It was an interesting experience. So that's the first question that we need to ask ourselves. The second question we need to ask ourselves is, you know, we just passed 2020. You ask yourself in the past year, in which way have I grown to become more like Jesus? Now, in 2020, you might have become a better golfer. You might have been better at fantasy football. But have you grown to become more like Jesus? Now, if you can't find the answer to that in 2020, ask yourself in the last five years, have you grown to become more like Jesus? Maybe the last decade. Maybe the last two decades. See, what we don't want is just let, let life pass us by. We get older, but we do not become more mature in Christ. Now, if that's kind of what you're struggling with, I'm going to give you two quick principles, two easy principles to kind of help you position yourself in the place to grow. Okay? These two things make so much sense if you think about it. The first principle is this. You will always grow towards what you consume with your eyes, okay, and what you listen to, okay? You can't help it. If you watch something all day, if you listen to something all day, you will grow grow towards that. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He says, your eyes is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eyes is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eyes is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. That's a serious statement, Jesus is saying your eyes, what you consume, what you watch, will govern what is inside your heart, whether it's light or it's darkness. Look at what 1 Peter Peter said in 1 Peter. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. We can't help but grow towards what we consume. Now, here's the truth is, it doesn't matter how mature you think you are, how long you've been a Christian. If you don't have some type of filter in your heart, in your head, 
towards what you consume, what you watch, what you listen to, you're going to struggle in growing toward Jesus. You know, for me, as I progress in my journey to become more like Jesus, what I have found is I have to become more careful about what I consume instead of less careful. Does that make sense? As I'm getting more mature in Christ, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm beyond that. I can watch that stuff now. It's okay. I'm good to go now. No, I have to become more careful what I consume, what I watch. In fact, you know, when I go to the dentist, you know, you sit in the dentist chair, they, they turn the TV, the little monitor in front of you, watch whatever HDTV or whatever is in front of you, just kind of pacify you until the dentist come. I intentionally tell them to turn that monitor off every time. I either turn it off myself. One time I was like, you know, lying down at the thing in my mouth. I'm like trying to touch it, grab it, find the off button so I can turn it off. Because I don't want to watch this stuff. I have to be so careful about what I consume, okay, what I watch, okay. If you don't have that filter in place, you are going to be struggling. You are going to grow towards whatever you're watching and listen to. If you just have no filter in place, you just listen to media, mainstream media, news, whatever's on all day long, guess what you're going to grow towards? You will grow towards the world because that's from the world. Instead, what we need to do is we need to crave spiritual milk. So the first principle is this. If you aren't growing, watch what are you consuming, okay? Watch what are you consuming. The second principle is this. You will always grow towards who you spend most of your time with, okay? Your friends, your, who, your family member, whoever you spend the most time with, that absolutely matters, okay? Studies have shown tremendously how we are affected by those around us. Now, I feel like I talked about this before. Like, studies have actually shown your developmental phase, your IQ is actually affected by the group of friends you have. This is why one of the greatest tips I can have for any parents, and I worked in alternative school for 10 years, one of the greatest tips I can have for a struggling parent is, hey, who are your kids hanging out with? Who are their friends? They don't have good friends. Find some good young people and have them hang out with your kids. That's one of the best way to parent your kids. I mean, there's many other things, but that's one of the best way. That's why, to me, one of the greatest contributions to society by the local church is to have a real kicking, godly, loving youth group. That's why I'm so appreciative for Pastor Aaron and Lauren. I can't wait for my kids to get a little older and send them to youth group. Because having that fellowship of friends will grow them so much. Now, this is not just for kids. This is for us, too. Who are your friends? Do you have God chasers in your life? I don't know about you, but when I'm hanging out with a God chaser and they're moving, they're moving towards God, there's such momentum in their path, they create a suction that sucks me into their path to also chase God. You know what I'm saying? That's what it does when we have passionate friends who love Jesus. Now, this is where I make my plug for Life Group. If you are looking for a fellowship of friends, okay, who love Jesus, get plugged into our Life Group. You know, when you commit to a Life Group, it's not for the rest of your life. We're asking for a 10-week commitment at a time, okay? 10-week commitment starting this next Sunday, okay? June 10th is the launch of our Life Group semester. We have Life Group information at the Connection Center. You can pick up one of those sheets. And like Pastor Ron said, we made video promos for a bunch of our Life Group leaders on our Facebook page. We're going to make a link to our uh, church website. Please check those out. Make a 10-week commitment and join our Life Groups. I promise you, your life will not be changed. My personal goal is that 50% of our church family is plugged in in the Life Group. So those are my two principles. Okay, Watch what you're consuming and watch who you're spending time with. But the hard truth is this, okay? If you practice those two things, among other things, 
All they do is position yourself in the place to grow. They in itself doesn't grow you. Here's the mystery of all of this. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. He gives all credit to God. Now, there's a part we got to play. We got to sow the seed, right? We got to water it. However, the mystical, the, the magical, the supernatural element of growth belongs to God. It's in his power, it's his timing where we actually grow. Now, this principle of growing is so important for you to understand because so many people give up on growing. They get discouraged. They don't grow because they don't understand this aspect of growing. Now, the best example I can think of to explain growth is using the analogy of working out. Anybody go to the gym and work out here? Come on, you got some buff people in here. So, you know, you go to the gym, you say, yeah, I'm going to go get big or I'm going to go and get buff, right? It's actually not true if you think about it. You go to the gym and you work hard and all you can do, you use all your willpower, all you can do is you break down your muscle. You, break, you bring yourself to a place of brokenness. You know how it is. You work out hard. You feel good about yourself. You go home. You can barely lift your arms to eat dinner. You're so sore. And you go to bed. You know what you do when you go to bed? You're exercising faith. You're exercising faith that in your brokenness, a process will take over to bring you from the place of brokenness to a place of healing and growth and restoration, right? And that process happens over and over again. So many times, eventually, you equate brokenness with healing and growth, right? Isn't that what happens when we actually exercise and work out? What you don't realize is you're actually exercising faith, so visually, look, you, you, you work out, you do what you can, and, and you work, you give your 100%, and all you can do is come to a place of brokenness. And you, when you're in the place of brokenness, you have a vision of place of growth, but in between these two places, there's a chasm, and you bridge this chasm through your faith, okay? I want you to have that understanding in mind. Now, let's talk about how this translates into growing spiritually or emotionally or in your faith. The same thing happens you got to understand, we cannot make ourselves become more like Jesus. We cannot make ourselves grow. we got to understand that. You might be able to try on your own willpower to become more patient or more loving or more selfless. On your own willpower, your own strength, you can probably act that way for a while, for a season. But you know what happens? Eventually, you get weary, you get tired, you give up, you say, hey, you know what, this is not worth it. I can't do this. This is not me. And you fall back and backslide. And that kind of stuff happens to people all the time. Because just like what Paul says in Roman, what truly transforms us is the supernatural power of God to change us to become more like Christ daily. It's the power of God. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that God uses to transform us so that we can become more like Jesus. So check this out. Just like working out, our own responsibility, our own willpower can only take us to a place of brokenness. We yield to the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of brokenness. You know how he does it? He used difficult people. He used difficult circumstances. He used things we don't control, the things we don't like, adversity, to bring us to a place of brokenness. And all we can do is through obedience, cooperate with him. To go to a place of brokenness. 
Now, while we're in the place of the brokenness, we have a vision for a place of growth and restoration, but we cannot get there ourselves. So you know what do we do in the place of brokenness? We do nothing. We stand, and we trust him, and we allow the discomfort to work in our heart because this is a hard place to be. It's a painful place to be. You feel stretched. It's difficult. It hurts. And so many people give up at this point because they see nothing is happening. They say, I'm not seeing any change. I'm not growing. It's so uncomfortable. It feels so unnatural. I'm done. I've been there many, many times before. But what you do when you take a stand in the place of brokenness, when you're so uncomfortable, you're saying, hey, even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it, I trust that God is still working. And one day, faith will bridge me. In God's timing, faith will bridge me from the place of brokenness to the place of restoration and growth. Okay. And check this out. If you really think about it, if our goal is to become like Jesus, right? Our vision is so we can become more like Jesus. In order to become more like Jesus, we actually get to experience a tiny, tiny bit of what Jesus experienced. Isn't that what happened to him? When he was giving himself to the cross, he experienced brokenness on such a massive scale. Brokenness physically, brokenness emotionally, brokenness spiritually, relationally. He was utterly broken. And when he surrendered himself to the cross, he had hope and faith that God was not going to abandon him to the grave. He had a vision for a place of restoration but all he had was brokenness. So he stood on his brokenness, trusting his father to bridge from the place of brokenness to the place of healing and restoration. It's very poetic if you think about it. Our goal when we want to grow, all we can do is to surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit to come to this place, what I call the sweet spot of brokenness, the sweet spot of discomfort, the sweet spot when you don't really want to eat anything, and a sweet spot where you're just, ah, ugh, you're stretched. You feel like someone's literally stretching you. I'm speaking from my own experience, of course. This is why Paul said in Romans 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life so that we can become like Jesus. So what does it all mean? What does this growth mindset all mean? I want to tie it all together, okay? The practical day-to-day, the applications of the growth mindset. It means we embrace four things, okay? In our day-to-day life, we need to embrace four things. We embrace adversity, we embrace our failures, we embrace authenticity, and we embrace brokenness. So what does that look like? We embrace adversity. We recognize that God is committed the Holy Spirit is committed to bring us to the sweet spot of brokenness, and he will use all kinds of challenges to get there. Okay? I remember two years ago when the Lord told me, hey, I want you to start a new business flipping houses. You, know? um, you buy old homes, uh, repair it, and sell it for a profit. I'm thinking, this is awesome. God wants me to start a business. He's going to bless me. I'm going to make a lot of money. Everything goes smoothly because this is God's plan. Everything's going to go great. Two years later... Two years later, I learned that that was not God's agenda. God could care less about me making money. God could care less about me uh, being successful or feeling successful. What God wants to do is he wants to teach me and mold me and shape me. So throughout for the next two years, okay, it's so interesting because basically anything bad could happen when you try to flip a home happen. 
And it wasn't through any person. It wasn't like, oh, people made mistakes. It was all circumstance I couldn't really control and that no one could really control. It was clearly the hand of God that God was trying to teach me. You know, and someone can preach me all day and say, hey, you know what, Andrew? God cares more about you becoming like Jesus than about your happiness. I'll be like, oh, that's a good sermon. No, it took me two years to learn it, to integrate that into my life. And I can't tell you how many times I whined and complained to God and said, God, this is your idea. Why is it falling apart? I can't sleep. I'm losing money. I got no money. I got no cash, blah, blah, blah. Complained to God over and over again. It took two years for me to finally learn God could care less about me making money. He's not about making me feel good about myself. He wants to teach me the value of resource and finance is for his purpose. And this lesson doesn't come by just a sermon. It comes through difficulty. He wants to tell me he's the king of my business, not me. But that came through difficulty and challenges. And it took me two years to start to really see, man, these challenges and difficulties well, the first year it happened, I thought, oh, it's a whim. I'm going to learn my lesson, move on. Second year will be great. After the second year, I'm like, this is no coincidence. God's trying to teach me something. <laughs> if you really understand and embrace adversity, you can think back of all the disappointments in your life, all the times in which God supposedly failed you. We all have those. I know I have my share of those. Then you realize, has he really failed you? Or is he just really so much smarter than you? And really, he has a completely different agenda than you. He has much greater plans for you than you have for yourself. So we embrace adversity. The second point is we embrace our failures. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I associate failures with shame. Okay? Failures and mistake with shame. Now, I'm not talking about like repeated sins, stubborn hearts, rebellious hearts. You keep going back to your sin over and over again. I'm talking about just immaturity. Like you're learning new things, you're trying new things, you make mistakes. But every time I quote unquote fail or make mistakes, I feel such shame welling up my heart. I thought that's the natural order of things. I thought that's what should happen. Failure equals shame. Years and years later, I realized that's absolutely not true. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, he says, but one thing I do, Forget what lies behind and straining toward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul has his share of victories, and he got his share of skeletons in the closet in his past. But what Paul is saying, I can't even worry about all that. The mission is so much greater. Growing toward Jesus is so much greater priority. I am not going to get boggled down the regrets of yesterday. I'm moving forward so I can become more like Jesus and to expand the kingdom of God. This verse has been a life verse for me because I need this so much. I need to overcome my fear of failure and shame. Well, it turns out associating failure with shame is genetic. And my son, who's six, Nehemiah, inherit every ounce of shame and guilt from failures from myself and also from my wife. My son, he's a perfectionist by nature, and every time he makes mistakes, I'm just talking about like little mistakes, like he drops a cup. He would be so ashamed, he would literally go and hide. He would disappear. I'm like, where did Nehemiah go? He's hiding because of shame. And I recognize this is one of his biggest weaknesses. And I also recognize one of the best predictor for success is what I call grit. You know what grit is? Is you can handle mistakes. You can handle failures. You get right back up. Okay? The greatest trait 
to predict success is not talent, it's not money, it's not uh, your education, it's not how smart you are. Over and over again, history has shown the most successful, the most impactful people is people who can pick themselves back up, learn from their lesson, and keep moving on. So I said to myself, I'm going to teach my son this. My son struggled with this. This is one of his biggest weaknesses. He's a smart kid. He's a good kid, but he cannot emotionally handle failures. So I'm going to teach this to him. So you know what I did? I came up with a plan to have my son fail all the time, literally, to teach him all the time. Think about it. This is a father's perspective to grow his son. I'm not doing this because I hate my son. I'm doing this because I love my son. Think about what your heavenly father is doing to you. But what I have, my son, he loves to play this video game. I set this, the, the, the difficulty for this game super high, way beyond his age. So he keeps losing and failing and losing and failing. I'm there just like, you lost? Great. Good job. Get back and try some more. One day he got so mad and so upset at me. You just want me to lose. You just want me to lose. He doesn't get it. He's six or five at the time. So at that point, I took him for a long walk. Pet talk time. I took him. We walked to the church. Long walk. I shared with my son my story. I told him, look, your dad is just like you. I hate failing. I'm so scared of failing. Back when I was a kid, back when I was in elementary school, high school, middle school, because of my fear of failure, I didn't take any risks. I didn't grow. I didn't persevere. I missed out on so many opportunities to grow and become more mature. And I just shared the whole thing. And I don't know how much he understood this. Probably understood 10, 20% of the story. But I told him, remember this. Why do you fall? Why are you learning how to fall? So I can develop grit. You can go ask him. He's out in the children's ministry. Ask him, why do we learn to fall? He's going to tell you. Because I'm trying to learn grit. Why do you need grit? So I can become a great man. It's two slogans. Put it in him. The reason I'm saying this, the reason I'm saying this is because some of you need to go on a pep talk with your heavenly father. He needs to come and tell you and rewire and revamp your mentality on making mistakes so you can have a growth mindset. Because we embrace our failures, we embrace authenticity because we recognize our failures are simply testimony to the goodness of God and to help set other people free. This this is something very evident in our culture. If you haven't experienced that, go to Mary's class and listen to Jerry and Terry's testimony among many others. Okay, Or better yet, go on an encounter. You are going to get so shocked by authenticity, it's going to drive you nuts. First time I hear some of these testimony from our elders and leaders, man, I was blown away. But we deeply recognize that we are not ashamed of our mistakes. Therefore, God's glory. Authenticity is something we embrace. Finally, we embrace brokenness. I want to quickly share just kind of my, what God's been doing with my own heart. You know, my biggest, two biggest weakness Two issues that God's always kind of like the Holy Spirit is always just touching, you know, that sore spot, and he just keep nudging at you, keep touching you, like, stop it, stop it, I know it's there. He's like, nope, like, I want to keep touching it. My, my two sore spot is this. I love to be in control, and I want things done my way. Sounds familiar? I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram. It's just one personality test to kind of like know your... I don't love it. It's a tool. It helps you know your deep motivation. So I'm, for those who know, I'm a one who's a perfectionist. I'm an eight who's a control freak, okay? Not a great combination, especially for my wife. Um, but for all my life, it's been a continual battle for me to not have to be in control and it doesn't have to be my way, okay? 
But you know, 2020 has been a tough year for this, these two desires because things are not going the way I want to and things are not in my control. And even since the election, um, I, my wife said to me, it seems like there's a dark cloud over me. I know the Lord is stirring those two things up in my heart, just probing my heart, probing my heart, just digging at those two things, saying, will you come back to the place, the sweet spot of surrender? The sweet spot of surrender. But I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be broken again. I knew, I know how uncomfortable that place is. I know that place of surrender hurts. The pain, I don't want to deal with that pain. And you know what? This is my prayer to God. God, I don't want to change. You made me this way. You made me stubborn. You made me that I want my way. I don't want to change. I don't want to be broken these things. But I feel the Holy Spirit just nudging me more and more. He's using circumstance, people just nudging me guiding me to the sweet spot of brokenness. But, you know, I just really resisted him. Last Sunday, last Sunday, a week ago, after church, I went home. Vividly, I'm helping my son potty training. I'm teaching him to go to the bathroom, whatever. And I had to wash my hand. I remember vividly, I'm about to wash my hand. And my wife ran and said, you got to answer this phone call. It's from your sister. I knew it was something important. Well, my sister's telling me, hey, your, your, our mom's, she just had a heart attack. She's going to the hospital right now on the ambulance. I don't know anything else. I'll let you know more later. It was awakening. It was a rude awakening on many different levels. My mom is as healthy as anyone. She eats well. She loves the Lord. She's energetic. I'm like, my mom, are you sure? It's crazy. So after she hung on, it was like a three, it's like a one-minute conversation. After that conversation, there was a bunch of people in my house eating dinner or whatever. I went to my room. I washed my hands. I remember that. I went to my room, I sat down on the edge of my bed, and it must have been a couple hours that passed. And my wife was, has enough wisdom to just kind of leave me alone because she knew the Lord was doing something. I sat on the edge of my bed, and I just felt the Lord, the Holy Spirit start downloading in my heart. Because, you know, talk about not feeling like you're in control when you find out that your mom has a heart attack and she's on the way to the hospital. Talk about feeling like there's nothing you can do, right? Talk about not being in control and not going the way you want to. And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, son, I'm taking you to the place of brokenness. Let me, let me bring you to the place of brokenness. And I realized in a deep, personal way, God is absolutely committed to my growth to become like Jesus. If only we are as committed to this process. That's my story. Those are my struggles. Control, my struggle, my way. What are your struggles? What is your story? I know even right now the Holy Spirit is prompting you and probing you. And he's touching that sore spot and he's trying to get you to the place of sweet surrender, the sweet st- spot of brokenness. You know, for my wife, she's wired completely differently. For her idol, her struggle is helping people and that helping people can become identity, become toxic, it can become an idol. So what the Lord's been breaking her down, bring her to the sweet spot of surrender in which she cannot help anybody. And I look at that, I just laugh. I'm just like, ah, God's taking you to that sweet spot. Now, that wasn't me, so I can laugh at her. But what is my own journey? What is my own process? And even right now, I know the Holy Spirit's working on you. So just very practical. If you know you're being edged to the sweet spot of surrender, but you don't want to go there, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. If you're ready to embrace the place of brokenness, okay, 
to stand in the place of discomfort, a place of being stretched. And you're like, man, it's really hard for me to even have a vision for the place of growth, but I want to stand here. I want to stand in faith. I want to just pray with you. And afterwards, if you want, we can come up. We have our elders and pastors. We would love to pray for you. Stand with you in faith to say, stand. After you've done all you can, stand in this place of faithfulness and trust that God in his time, he will bring you. He will transform you from the inside out. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just ask that we give you permission right now. Against our own desires, against our own nature, we invite you to come and break us on a fundamental level because we know you love us so much you will not keep us stagnant. You will not keep us the same. You want to make us more like your son. So wherever that area is, control, selfishness, impatience, lack of love, lack of passion, whatever it is in our heart, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you and we say, Lord, we cannot even break ourselves, Lord. We can simply come to the place of discomfort and trust that your Holy Spirit will do the work. So even right now, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to come into our hearts and touch us deeply. And we make a stand right now that we trust. We trust in our Heavenly Father who will not surrender us to the grave. But in your time, in your power, you will resurrect us like you did your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.